Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. This episode features Calvin Martin. A couple of things beforehand. Uh, I've been to the foreign fields. I've been to Africa. And what Brother Ray just said, I want to just give a short little um, testament of how they stand on the same doctrine and spirit that we do. We were in Ghana just before COVID hit, and we went to Brother Samuel Agre's home, and in his, on his property there was another home that, and I apologize, I don't know this brother, but the widow of a traveling deacon who had been there before who had passed away. So Brother Wayne thought that it would be good to go over and visit with her and pray with her. So there was a contingent of four of us plus Brother Samuel, and over we go, and she was just such a lovely lady. And then Brother Wayne asked her, do you mind if we pray for you? And this will, this will never leave my mind because it goes with Brother uh, Luff said earlier. She was visiting with her friend when we visited, and the two of them immediately popped up. Like, immediately. I can't even explain to you how quickly his sentence ended, and they were not in the room anymore. That's how quick they moved. And we <laughs> were not quite prepared for what did that mean. Within about 15, 20 seconds, the two of them came back with napkins on their head. That is the doctrine and the truth that is spread through the word by the spirit, spread through the world by the spirit of the Lord. I thought that account would give you comfort in knowing that though though it's it's money, they are searching for the same truth you and I are. So that's my little foreign field encouragement for you all. Second is not many years ago, but more than a couple of years ago, at a young people's in uh, St. Francis in uh, Indiana, uh, we were teaching on a subject, and don't even ask me what it was because I don't remember. I think it was meekness. But this scripture, which has come up probably six times this week, and I'm going to bring it up again, which is Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then we took it in the context of the class that we were teaching and we were working on, which was meekness. And we sort of came up with this. Meekness is the nature and character of our spirit where we yield without resistance or dispute and believe unreservedly that God's love, plan, and purpose concerning us is always good. I, we've kept, this has been in my wife's Bible and has been pulled out a number of times when the world gets a little crazy. And I, you know, that the, the Roman, but it just seems that it personalized it for me. I have to believe that all things work together for good for me, regardless of my circumstances. So, all that being said, that was, has nothing to do with what I want to talk about. But that's very typical of me. Um, I, I, 
I'm asking this question strictly for to direct me. How many people were here for part one? Uh, you are going to hear a few things repeated, but I think the, the what's on my heart for the New Testament reality of the Old Testament that we went through is sort of hinged on at least remembering the key points of what we discussed. And, and you're going to hear different terms, but it all means the same thing. We are no doubt living in the end times. As ones who profess to believe in salvation through the resurrection life of our Lord Jesus Christ and covet to be spirit-filled and desire to be led by the Holy Spirit, our calling and our walk in this day has not changed. Matthew 5:16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Our walk is a calling to be a light unto the world that will glorify our Father in heaven through our good works and not exalt our good works. We then spoke of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness because we all know that we all go through our wilderness experiences. And we, I'm just going to do the very short introduction to it. It's Matthew 4. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards hungered. And when the tempter, the devil, came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. Two things were happening at this time. By the Spirit, Jesus recognized the fact that there was a choice that needed to be made. If we, were, if we are lulled by the Spirit of the world's orthodoxy, we may never realize there is a choice, and the default is to live by the world's traditions. Two, that once we recognize there's a choice, there's a choice that's got to be made. And it's up to us to whether it's right or whether it's wrong. Well, it's not up to us, which is sort of part two. The devil knew the scriptures and recognized the authority of Jesus, but his motivation was to usurp Jesus' authority and claim that authority as his own. Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8 and 3. And, sorry for those who were here, but this, this portion of Scripture is sort of the, the nucleus of the entire message, so I'm going to read it again in its entire, entirety. Paul ministers in his letter to the church at Corinth of the reality that we too, as Jesus did, will experience temptations. First uh, Corinthians ten one to thirteen. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat of them, and all did eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness, their experience. Now these things were our, examples, were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be adulterers as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. I'll summarize that one in a moment. I'm going to continue in verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon which the ends of the world are come. But such, is, such as, but such as uh, there hath no temptation taken you or befallen you, 
but is such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Though we experience the trials in our earthly realm, we are admonished to, oh, sorry, Luke 12. Uh, seek not what you shall eat, seek not what you should drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things because they're common to man. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Though we experience the trials of our earthly realm, we are admonished to seek God's kingdom, for his good pleasure is that we obtain it. So that's going to come up again. So that's, at least it's in your, you've memorized that, right? Just like that, right? We then spoke of the children of Israel. The children of Israel were a delivered people, a chosen people, a peculiar treasure unto God, a called people to be a kingdom of priests. That's referenced in Exodus 19, 3-6. After being delivered from Egypt, the children of Israel were exuberant in their newfound freedom from oppression, and they experienced God's deliverance, deliverance and were enthusiastic in their willingness to obey God's word and to proclaim their trust and faith in the Lord. They expressed their commitment to obey God's word three times, and the third time sealing their covenant with God with the blood of a sacrifice. Similar to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God wanted to fellowship with the children of Israel and for them to experience him firsthand in an intimate, personal relationship. God confirms his authority given to Moses by his own voice and directly speaks to his chosen people from Mount Sinai. This is all in Exodus 19. Rather than, be, rather than awe-inspired reverence, the children of Israel were overcome with dreadful fear. This choice of the children of Israel rings similar to the tones of the account of the ten spies fearing the giants in the land of, that God had promised unto the children of Israel, and the fulfillment of the promise was denied them. Exodus 20 and 21. And Moses, similar to Caleb and Joshua, said unto the people, Fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear, and I, the other translations go, his authority, his omnipotence, his power, may be before your faces that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, separated themselves as Adam and Eve did after their fall, and Moses drew into the thick darkness where God was. God gave a lot of instructions to Moses. You all know this account. God gave many uh, instructions, and he, was, he went up to the mountain and down to the mountain and told the people, and went up to the mountain and went down to the people. And finally, God calls up Moses, and he says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach unto thy, my children. And Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days, and the seventh day did he call Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mountain. Moses was in the mount 40 days and 40 nights. This is a story you all know, but we're going to reference many of this in a few minutes. If we looked at the experiences and circumstances of the children of Israel 
at this moment until three or four months previous, their entire lifespan for all, this, the, the, for all those encamped around Mount Sinai had been enslaved in Egypt. In their minds, Moses negotiated with Pharaoh for their deliverance, and some of their, those negotiations didn't go so well for them, even to the extent that their persecution and burdens were increased. Through acceptance of the responsibility, uh, responsibility, we more commonly use the submissive term obedience rather than the accountability term responsibility to comply with what proved to be a death-defying constraints and covering. God delivered them from their bondage, and Moses led them out of Egypt. God, through Moses, parted the Red Sea, destroyed the armies of Egypt. Moses shepherded the children of Israel through the wilderness for three months and brought them to a place of rest and safety at Mount Sinai. All the time, God was faithful to meet all their needs. The children of Israel had been filled with fear by their personal encounter with the Lord when God spoke to them from the mountain, and Moses, as their intermediary, had written and taught the word of the God to them on many occasions, and now Moses was seen entering into the glory of the Lord that was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel a month and a half ago. I know that's a lot for those of you who heard it before, but anyways... The children of Israel were left unattended and began to submit to their own thoughts. They felt abandoned and became restless. The word of God and their commitment to it was quickly beginning to retreat into the sphere of irrelevance based on their immediate circumstances. Like Jesus in his time of temptation in the desert, the children of Israel were at a time of recognition and choice. Trust in the word of the Lord, or trust in the word of God, and rest in the experience, experiential knowledge of knowing that God had delivered them from bondage and faithfully met their needs, or in their own thinking and in their own might construct their own way of escape, believing that if they didn't do something, they would surely perish in the wilderness. Aaron built the children of Israel a golden calf, of which they said, These be the gods of Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. The children of Israel's action at Mount Sinai were totally orthodox which by definition is conventional, ordinary, normal, customary, established, traditional, I'm sure you remember, you're writing this all down, right? And acceptable by most people, conforming to beliefs, attitudes, and conduct that is greatly, generally approved, established principles, positions, or doctrine. I'm just about finished the summary. Egypt, the only culture that they had experienced up to just a few short months ago, had many good gods and idols that they worshipped. The fashioning of the golden calf at that time, at the time of these events, would have been considered firmly established, conventional, customary, and normal, making their actions acceptable in the eyes of the world. However, these actions were contrary to God's word, and that they, that they had heard from the mountain. And the children of Israel either collectively rebelled against the word of God, or convinced themselves that God's word was not relevant in the circumstances that they found themselves in, but somehow felt they had stayed within the bounds of their covenant. Outright rebellion can be addressed directly by appropriate discipline. However, defiance and disobedience with the belief that our understanding in our circumstances is in harmony with the understanding of a reasonable majority, yet ignores the righteous foundations on which God's word is established, leads to division, strife, endless unproductive point and counterpoint arguments, trying to defend the justification of man's thinking. 1 Corinthians 11 and 16, But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom 
neither the churches of God. When Aaron was confronted by Moses as to how and why this great sin was done, Aaron was ready with a justification. We then read, a, uh, the, we read the account of the serpent deceiving Eve. And, the, and God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat, for in that day thou shalt surely die. Eating the fruit of the trees in the Garden of Eden was orthodox. However, the word of God had put a boundary for, for their protection. I assumed that when Eve looked at the forbidden fruit, there was no perceptible difference from any other acceptable trees. Knowing God's word was not enough to deter Eve from evaluating her circumstances, and she went down the same path as the children of Israel. She either rebelled against God's word or deemed it irrelevant when measured against this new information shared with her by the serpent. After partaking of the forbidden fruit and sharing with her husband, Adam, they knew they were naked and hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Finally, we read the account of Saul being set as king of Israel. God had directed Saul to Samuel, where Samuel was instructed by God to anoint Saul as king of Israel. And like, and like Moses, Samuel spoke the word of the Lord to Saul and gave him instructions and assurances as to, walk, as to the walk Saul had been called to by God to reign as king over the God's people, 1 Samuel 9 and 10. Samuel's final instructions to Saul was, if thou, thou, And thou should, shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice, to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days shall thou tarry till I come unto thee and show thee what thou shalt do. This time appointed arose two years later when the Philistines rose against the Israelis. The Philistines had amassed themselves a mighty fighting force against Israel in Michmash. Saul was in Gilgal and all the people were trembling in fear. Saul tarried seven days according to the instructions of Samuel, evidence that Saul knew the word of the Lord given to him by Samuel. But when Samuel didn't show and the people fled, the circumstances were extremely dire. Saul then performed a sacrifice to the Lord himself rather than waiting for Samuel. The sacrifice of the burnt offering was in accordance with Hebrew orthodoxy, but was to be conducted by those appointed according to God's word. Saul was not so much rebelling against the word of God, but he looked at his and the people's plight and determined the exactness and righteousness of God's word was not relevant under these circumstances and fulfilled the offering according to his own thoughts and his own justification. When Saul was confronted by Samuel to what he had done, Saul was ready with a justification. The previous examples were of those hearing and understanding the word of God, then capitulating to the circumstances that befell them, leading them to rely on their own understanding and choosing their own way. Rather than trusting in the faithfulness of God's word, they reasoned that due to the circumstances, something had to be done. Proverbs 3 and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. There, that was a summary. That was, I apologize, but I just hope that it was enough to sort of keep going with this. As instructed by Paul, we as the children of God are to use the scriptures as examples for our admonition. I'd like to quote out of that 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. 
The children of Israel were a delivered people, a chosen people, a peculiar treasure unto God, a called people to be a kingdom of priests. And I'm going to read that two verses, Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my, keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And, to, and for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests that calling, and a holy nation, God's calling on his people. Okay. We as the sons and daughters, we as his sons and daughters are a purchased people, delivered from death through Jesus Christ, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Sound familiar? A people called out of darkness into his marvelous light. I really wish God would have put the lights on right as I said that. That would have been so effective. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Anyways, taking, taking the humor out of it. Um, uh, that <laughs> I've even lost where I am now. Yeah, people called out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Corinthians seven twenty three and 24. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Brethren, let every man wherein is called, there, called therein, within that calling, abide with God. This abiding came up in prophecy today. It was, it's been mentioned many times this week. This abiding with God, abiding in the vine, we all know John 15, 3-5, I'm not going to read it, we all, it's very familiar to us. This is God's desire to, be, to know and, inter, and interact with us intimately and personally. He does. He's proven it. He, he, he's given us the example in the Old Testament of Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the evening. He talked to the children of Israel directly from the mount. He was interested in them knowing who he was. Yet, the spirit of the world has enslaved men through unrighteousness. Its culture, its traditions, its judgments, based on its orthodoxy, are intended to usurp the authority of God's righteousness and bring God's creation, including mankind, into bondage. I couldn't come up with a simpler explanation of where the world's headed. If... God wasn't, didn't, wasn't in the control of the plan. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, Mark 7, 1 to 13, and it came, and it came together unto, and then came together unto Christ the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread and def, with defiled, that it is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands oft, eat not, holding the tradition or orthodoxy of the elders. And when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not, and many other things there be which they had which have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not the disciples according to the tradition or orthodoxy of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? I think there's a small explanation that should be uh, given here. We're not talking about washing the hands like you and I do. This was a ritualistic uh, 
show of piety that the Pharisees did. So if you didn't go through this ritualization, your hands weren't clean. It's not just the, the essence, like a, you, know, you clean your hands for, out of, out of, out of um, cleanliness. This was a ritualistic role. If you didn't do it that way, you were, de you were defiling your meal. So, Christ answered and said unto them, Well, well hath Elias, Isaiah, it's Elijah, uh, prophesied to you, hip you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Which ties into these, the scripture I read just a moment ago in Corinthians, be not the servants of men. The world and its structures and its cultures will devise things that are, that are deemed orthodox. I, I, I don't like... I'm going to just keep using the word orthodox. I was just going to change my mind, but I'm going to... Orthodoxy, once again, just becomes acceptable, normal, traditional. And somebody prophesied today, I have it in my notes, but I didn't add it to these notes, about conforming, because that's part of the definition of orthodoxy, is conforming to a principle, conforming to a doctrine, conforming to a policy. One of the things I found out when I was doing a little study on that that I omitted from here because it wasn't fitting at the time is conforming in the scriptural sense can both be an adjective and a verb. In the English language, conformed is only a verb. And one of the brethren, and please don't hold me accountable for trying to remember who, spoke of conforming to the image of Christ. That's an adjective, not a verb. Because if it's a verb, then we, tr we try to get there on our own. But in the verb sense, it says, be ye not conformed to the world, right? So I thought that was an interesting thing in the study of orthodoxy is this word conforming isn't necessarily a bad thing, but if we don't understand the difference between being like Christ rather than trying to conform ourselves to him. Does everybody get the difference between adjective and verb? Because then we're doing it on our own strength. We just talked about People doing things because they look at their circumstances. Well, I got to do something. So it says once again. I'll just repeat. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, ye hold the traditions or orthodoxy of men, as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things that you do. And he said unto them, Full well that ye reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own traditions. And then he goes on to talk, this is in Mark, so it goes on to talk about Corbin, not that you need to go into the, the big theology about Corbin, but Corbin was basically a law that the Pharisees created to transfer money from, from, their, from the people of Israel into the temple that, 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 that enhanced their pockets, and they were exempt from the commandment of honor your mother and father. If your mother and father were in need, you could actually give this gift and it would say, well, that was the same as, and it was, and Jesus just said, you're just tearing apart what the word of God said. I, I, I don't really want to go into the Corbin itself, but Jesus had the justification of showing them that they were, they were hypocrites and he called them such. 
In this instance, orthodoxy was established to deem certain actions exempt from requirements compliant with the word of God. This, is, this was a created orthodoxy that justified, in this case, an avoiding of a responsibility established by God's word. Do we do that? God, you know, I know I'm supposed to give tithes this week, but that bill's on my table. And then we can justify it so simply. I know that that example's been given to you probably a million times, but... Uh, let me just consider. They printed on both sides of a piece of paper, so you know I've mixed them up, right? Oh yes, okay. So that was the uh, that was the scripture that said that we were a purchased a purchased people and not to be servants of men. First Peter two nine to ten. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in a time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. There's no if and then in this scripture. If you go and look at them when they describe the children of Israel, that God, when he called them that, he says, if you obey my covenant, then. Peter's uh, scripture does not have the if and then in there. Peter here is declaring that the redeemed people of God take up the calling not fulfilled by the children of Israel. The children of Israel, we went, we went through all that detail the other day, they chose to hide in fear. But Peter called the children of God, the, the, the sons of God, with, with the term that you want to use and you're comfortable with. He is claiming this people to, to accept the calling that was not fulfilled by the others. Because we were not a people. Like we were all just scattered. And through Christ, we have been made one. We've talked about the body of Christ all week. What differentiates the people of God from the children of Israel? The sons of God have been promised an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven through their born-again experience in Christ Jesus, not into a promised land of acreage or you know, in some place that, their feet have, that Abraham's feet have tread. It's a different realm that the children of God have been called to. Christ promised the Holy Spirit to those who believed in him. John 14 and 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give to you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. These scriptures are very familiar to you. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. I need that. My memory is terrible. John 16 and 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Very familiar scriptures to us. Now's the church's Mount Sinai moment. This is sort of where I wanted to start. <laughs> Sorry. 
The church's Mount Sinai experience starts in Acts 2, 1-4. And when the, Holy, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. One accord means orthodox. Completely different connotation than the orthodox we've been talking about. But they were orthodox. They were of one accord. They were in unity. That, <clears throat> now I've lost my place again. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house that they were, where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Any, any correlation between what happened to the children of Israel when God spoke to them out of the mountain? Children of Israel chose to hide, chose not to listen to the word, but to fear the omnipotence of the Father. But this promise by Christ to send His Spirit has been put into a, a people who are willing partakers or, or desirous to be filled with the Spirit that's been promised to us. That's the difference. That's my message to you. The message to us is, is that are we a people who will hide in caves, or will we stand... There was a prophecy today that said to act boldly. But it doesn't mean boldly in ourself. So the church's Mount Sinai experience has very uh, lots of similarities to the children of Israel on, the, on Mount Sinai. The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit and were empowered from on high and being armed with the Spirit to fulfill their calling. Remember what Peter talked about the calling? A chosen priesthood, a, a, a chosen people. Like the children of Israel hearing God from Mount Sinai, our spirit has direct communication with the Holy Spirit that repeatedly confirms His holy presence with us, His children and His sons and daughters. Romans eight twelve to 16 Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body and our own thoughts, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Very familiar scripture. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, which is the children of Israel's experience, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You've been adopted into the family of God. The spirit itself beareth witness with, or testifies unto our spirit, that we are the children of God. So we can either hear the spirit tell us that, or we can be like the children of Israel and look at our circumstances, and, and that just sort of fades away. You know, well, my circumstances here are really, you know, maybe I'm, and I, maybe I'm not worthy enough. We talked about condemnation. All of a sudden, these circumstances start to override what the Spirit's been telling to our spirit. You are a son of God. You are a child of God. I, I'm here to, and then all the things that, uh, that Jesus promised, I'll, it'll lead you into all truth. It'll comfort you. The scriptures aren't there just to fill up the book. They're there for our spirit to be spoken to. 
And when our spirit is spoken to, then it is constantly reassuring that we are with children of God. And I can't remember which who ministered on this, but when we fail, His grace is greater than our failures. And our spirit needs to yield to the spirit telling us, I'm still a, I'm still a son. You know, I was with my father the last three weeks. He was in the hospice. I knew I was his son. He was in different places at different times. But his, his last words said to our whole family, he, he was holding TJ's face and said, TJ, and then he saw my, two bro- my brother and I on each side, and he says, oh, the boys. I was his son. There was nothing that was going to change that. And his spirit, when we are filled with his spirit, is speaking to our spirit and constantly telling us we are the children of God. There's nothing that's going to change that. That inheritance was when you gave your life to, the, the, to, to Christ and believed in Christ, and you were now a joint heir with him for the kingdom. And the spirit is there to constantly assure us that we can walk according to the spirit in the best that we can and it will, will never be denied that we are the children of God. Think about that. I can make a lot of mistakes, but there's always a way back. Prodigal son story. But that's by the Spirit we know that to be true. Because those circumstances that we are going to run into, remember I said we're in the last days? I'm, I, you know, I don't like the description of what goes on in the last days. But you know what? The Spirit is constantly going to tell us, I will show you the way. I'll lead you into full all truth. I will comfort you. Because that's what Christ promised. Those promises are not hollow. So, so, the, so the only reason I spent so long doing the detail in the Old Testament is as humans and as if we choose not to, to yield ourselves to the Spirit, we will not hear what the Spirit tells our spirit. And we will begin to make decisions on our own circumstances, due to our fear. And we hear fear not more than any other two words, I think, in any ministry ever. Because God has told us over and over and over again, fear not, for you are my children. I have taken you through the Red Sea, literally in the Old Testament, but figuratively in your own life. He has delivered you from bondage of death through Christ. So, I'm here, the, the, the message is, is the Spirit is more than something we think we have. We have it. You know, this is not a name it and claim it thing. I remember Brother Sunbow saying that. This is not a name it and claim it thing, but it is to, to know the reality that when you're filled with the Spirit, that, and, and, and Brother PJ's message was right on point, that once that veil is broken... There's communication going on. And I can do I have two choices. One, to hide in fear like the children of Israel did, or B, choose to be led by the Spirit and comforted by him by the words that he kept constantly saying to my spirit. It may not even be in words that are spoken in a language we understand, but that's where our strength comes from, is where his spirit speaks to our spirit, and we know that we are called according to his purpose. That we are children of the of the living God. 
and that the promises that he has said and the inheritance that he says exists, exists for us to enter into. So we can't look at our circumstances and revert to the orthodoxy that the world so easily wanting to give us. I think that Brother Luff once they said the garden's filled with all these trinkety little pans that just catch our eye. We can't be enticed by the, this, or, I call it orthodoxy because it was the only word that kept coming to me through this study, is that it's so easy to see, well, that's such an easy thing to, it's easy to step into. It seems like it just makes my problem go away. But if you're filled with the Spirit and willing to be led by the Spirit, the Spirit will lead you. Oh, sorry, I guess I should read that. I'm not teaching something I didn't read yet. But anyways. Um, the Spirit itself beareth witness and testifies to our spirit that we are the children of God. Being filled with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit will reveal both the time of decision, that Jesus, remember he was in the desert by the Spirit, so he came to that point where the Spirit made him recognize there was a decision to be made or a choice to be made. And the light and of the decision and the light of the righteous path for us to walk in if we yield to his leading. I, this is me being just me. There's an old saying I used to say to my wife, I'm going to write a book one day that says when you get to the Y in the road, take it. Right? But the Spirit will light up the narrow way. It will, it will look just like, I'm sure like what Peter did when he stepped out of the boat. Well, boy, this really looked good. But the Spirit will direct us and lead us through the narrow way. Because broad is the way of the world. Its answers for all of our problems is that broad way but the Spirit doesn't want us to walk in that way. It wants to be, you to be led by it. And it says, this is the way that I want you to go. Restorative progression of God's truth was further revealed in 1948 regarding the gifts of the Spirit and the imparting of those gifts by the laying on of hands of the presbytery, which God's Word confirms. For those of you who sort of don't do the church history thing, up until 1948, infilling of the Holy Spirit was a wonderful experience. Uh, Azusa Street, and those of you who study know that there was services that went on for three weeks. Not three hours, three weeks. What a wonderful experience. So that became very orthodox. And just like, Jesus, like God did on the mountain of Sinai, it says, you know what, that's orthodox. But this is, the, this is the fullness of what I have for my chosen people. There's a land that I promised to your father Abraham. And here, in, the, in 1948, it says, you have some responsibilities here. Enter into it. And we say, and this is where I get back to this orthodoxy and works again. Well, God says that I have the ministry of helps. Right? And so therefore, I'm going to help everybody. But if the Spirit's not speaking to your spirit and you start going looking for the world's places that need this, this ministry to operate, it's, it's like the dead word somebody mentioned when they picked up the Bible. The Spirit has to lead us there. 
And, and, and please understand, the Spirit's talking to you all the time. So it's not a difficult thing. We make it difficult because all of those clouds and thunderings and fires and, and turmoils cloud our vision. Because our vision is, is I, am a, I am an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. He's promised it to those who love him. Those who believe in Christ Jesus' his son. And now you have your responsibility to do. I'm going to share with you a, a little something that hit me one day in our local assembly. Is We were singing joyful songs, and we've done it here too. And the scripture that came to mind is, take, cast off your burdens and take on my burdens, because my burden is light. That's not quoted correctly, but don't hold me to that. And it dawned on me, do you know what my burden, you know what he, yoke he's asked me to take on? Praise him! How tough can that be? He hasn't asked me to go move a mountain, although he's told me if I had a faith of a mustard seed, I could. But that's not what he asked me to do. Someday, that may be what God's Spirit says to somebody to do. But for today, we're told, fulfill your ministry by the leading of the Spirit and praise me. I don't know if that yoke is really too heavy. I think he was telling me the truth in his word. Therefore, this is 2 Timothy 1, 6, and t- 6 to 10. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Prior to 1948, it was almost like those words weren't being read. This is a truth that we have heard and been taught. Children of Israel issue. They heard the word of the Lord. They even said, we'll do everything the Lord tells us to do. Oh, I'm wandering again, sorry. They said, we'll, we'll do it. They said it three times. I'm going to go back to my little scripture here that I said earlier, and it's completely gone again. It says, those of you that think you can stand, lest you fall. I've heard the word of the Lord. I believe it. So therefore, how do I not fall? I'm going to read it to you. I think. <laughs> it's in Second Peter 1 and 12. Whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, but by these promises ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, that's that responsibility part, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, read, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, they, they, make you, <clears throat> they make you that ye shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, 
the wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to making your calling and election sure for if you do these things you shall never fall our bur- our yoke is light don't draw judgment on people Share brotherly love. Have faith, etc., etc. What just we just read. Here it is. I, I found my verse. First Corinthians. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. And all those examples I gave previous evening were things where we can fall trapped to those. We are we are as susceptible as anybody else unless we are willing, assuming we're filled with the Spirit, to be led by it. And let that Spirit speak to our spirit and say, you're my child. I know the things you need. Seek the kingdom of God and all those things will be added unto you. These problems are my problems to bear. We have a little keychain in our bedroom that says, good morning, this is God. I'm going to look after all your problems today. What an assuring thing after a bad day the day before. But his spirit speaks to us in that same way. You are a child of the God. You're a child of, of, of God. Christ has died for your sins. You are a purchased son of God. Don't fall servant to man. Or in, in this case, the spirit of the world. And if you do... And put on all these things that the world knows nothing about, faith, etc., all the list I just read to you, you will not fall. And you will stand. I'm going to conclude, because I think I got all mixed up, but this is a good place to end. I will conclude with Paul's short admonition to Timothy. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed. And this is that decision and then the Spirit lighting up the path He wants us to go down, rightly dividing the word of truth. The world is not full of truth. Right? The serpent wasn't full of truth. He was full of deception. Is it something I said? No, I know where you're going. So show yourself, therefore show thyself approved of God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How do we, how do we know the truth? The Spirit was sent to lead us into all truth. It said right in the Scriptures. So how do we rightly divide it? Not by looking at my circumstances. Not by looking what I think I should do, like Saul. What I've got to do is I've got to say, Spirit, lead me. And then he lights the way of the why and the road. Just like he did for Jesus, because Jesus was in the wilderness by the Spirit, right? It says, turn this into bread. The easiest way to solve his problem was to... Change that bread, that bread into, that stone into bread. That was the easiest thing to do, and his problem would have been solved. 
but his spirit quickened him or checked him as I've learned this week is checked him and said, this is the wrong spirit. I can go another day because this spirit is wrong. And the spirit led him to say, you know, uh, God does not, or man does not live by bread alone, but of every word that proceeds. And on he went. Because eventually when he got through the three temptations that are recorded in the scriptures, the devil fleed. And the angel ministered to him. That's what we got to believe. That whatever, wherever the Spirit's taken us, and we go down those whys, and we deal with all those problems, and that narrow gate seems to get more and more compressing, His Spirit is going to say, you are, the, you are a child of God, and I am here to lead you into all truth. Just accept the responsibility of yielding yourself. Amen. Yield yourself to the leading of the Spirit, to know my leading. Learn it as a young person. Exercise it every day of your life in your ministry. And if you do these things, you shall stand and not fall. But it is all contingent on us beginning to believe that we are, we have a vehicle that Brother PJ spoke about of our spirit being talking with the Holy Spirit and Him constantly assuring us that we are chosen of God. That we, that He is here to protect us. He is here to deliver us. He's asked us to do some responsibility. And that responsibility is going to lead to all sorts of trials and tribulations. Because Paul told us that in the original scripture I read. You know, you're just going to, you're just going to have them. But there's a way of escape through Christ. And the Spirit is His vehicle by which He has told us that it will comfort us, it will deliver us, it will guide us, it will lead us into all, you know, and all those scriptures I read earlier. So with that, I'll read the final scripture again. Study to show yourself approved. I.e., don't fear, don't run and hide in the wine press, don't run and hide in the cave, don't run and, and say, no, 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 you go do it, you go do it, you go do it. If God's called you to do something, do it. But make sure you're called by the Spirit. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the word of truth comes by the Spirit. God bless you. Believe that you are a son of God and there is nothing that can take the kingdom away from us if we yield. I, I, I was going to read them, but I guess I am because I'm going to at least allude to them. The first two chapters of Romans 12, I'll never forget when Brother... I think it was you, Brother Luff. It was one of the brothers. Anyway, somewhere it says, be ye a living sacrifice. And they asked the, the most obvious question that I had no clue what the answer was. What's the difference between a living sacrifice and a dead sacrifice? The living sacrifice chooses to stay on the altar. Chooses that the Spirit knows better than my own spirit chooses to be led by the Spirit, chooses to be responsible for the calling that's placed upon him, chooses to do the workman's, the workman's job that need not be ashamed of the things that you do. That's the living sacrifice part. Choosing to do it, choosing to yield. Saul didn't yield. He was more worried about beating the enemy. Eve, boy, there's a really nice tree there. It's going to make me wise. I don't know what that means, but boy, do I want it. Right? 
children of Israel. Well, I'll do what you say, Lord, until such a time as I think I, I'm in trouble. I'm not going to get out of the wilderness. How many times did the children of Israel say, why did you bring us to the wilderness so we can just die here in the desert? That's our trials and tribulations. We're on this path to the kingdom. And how many times are we saying, oh, Lord, how can we, we be here? You, you told us to here, and now we're sitting in all these circumstances. The kingdom is way too far away. It's too unattainable. But his spirit is saying to your spirit, you are a child of the king. You are an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. We have to hear that voice, not, our, not the fears that our own voices are saying to us. I, I'm, I'm rambling now. I apologize. But God bless you. Don't, 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 don't just fall into the orthodox. But, sorry, I do have one more scripture. I skipped over it a minute ago. To clarify, this is just so I don't leave any misconceptions. To clarify, orthodoxy is in, is, is in itself not necessarily a bad thing. The kingdom of God will be orthodox. Because they'll all be in unity. Paul speaks to holding fast to the traditions, or orthodoxy, that are taught according to the word and by the spirit of truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-17 But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you. This is the apostle speaking to the Thessalonians. Brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. There's that truth thing again. Whereunto he called you by our gospel, so he had, they had taught the gospel of Christ, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. How do you stand fast? Don't you have to be running to be faster, Levi? When's a door not a door? When it's a jar? Anyways, stand fast and hold the traditions, or the orthodoxy, which ye have been taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Thank you. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.